Let's start with a confession, and then a fact. All right, here's the fact. Yo, I am Sammy Yunan, your friendly neighborhood host of My Summer Layer, and now, the confession. I have never read an issue of Todd McFarlane's Spawn, and I've had since, like, May of 1992 to do so. As you may know, Spawn was among the initial release of comics that launched Image Comics, along with Rob Liefeld's Youngblood, Eric Larson's The Savage Dragon, and uh, Jim Lee's Wildcats. Cue the Simpsons Wildcats reference. That literal revolution of those wildly popular and profitable gang of artists leaving Marvel to start Image Comics is such a pivotal comic book business historical moment. It It's like Under Armour today trying to take on Nike and Adidas. I mean, really? Can you imagine if somebody tried to start a soft drink to take on Coke and Pepsi? That's crazy, right? There are hundreds of legit reasons why to take on the big two in any industry. It's madness, especially if it's Marvel and DC. Spider-Man and Batman, I mean, come on, man. Yet, yet, when we say it can't be done, it's because fear is a monopoly emotion. When we say this will fail, it's because we're flailing. When we say you will not succeed, it's because we doubt you. When we say you are not good enough, it means we like to settle for good enough. When we say you're crazy, it's to dismiss you. Truth is, none of those reasons, no matter how legit, are reasons to stop or give up or even acknowledge. There will always be critics, and it takes no courage to walk the sidewalk. That's the path that's laid out for everybody. Hence the title of David Oster's documentary, Todd McFarlane, Like Hell, I Won't. Todd McFarlane isn't everybody. He is a somebody. Like Hell, I Won't follows McFarlane as he attempts to publish Spawn 300, making Spawn the longest-running independent comic book series of all time. Through flashback, Oster's documentary asks and answers the question, how did we get here? How did 300 issues happen? How did Tom McFarlane happen? How did we get from crazy to cool? Featuring interviews with those close to McFarlane, like Marvel's Joe Q, The Walking Dead creator Robert Kirkman, NFL player Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, that list speaks to the size and impact of Todd's world and work. Also, shout out to producer Tara Ansley for the hockey assist in making this episode happen. Thank you, Tara. So let's get into this, shall we? This is my conversation with director David Oster, spawned from the documentary, Like Hell, I Won't. Oh, like hell, I'll drop that spawn pun. It's the kind of magic we do here. But anyways, that's a different uh, story for a different day. Here we go. No, no worries. Thankfully, I know Todd McFarlane, but I know some of his story. I've met him a few times at conventions. Uh, so it's like, I'm already kind of familiar. You know what I mean? It's not like you're dropping me into this like strange world. So Yeah, yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just like out of nowhere. Who is this yeah. person? What is this yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah. So like kids still buy comic books? What? I didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, I'm glad to hear that you uh, have met Todd before and so you have a little familiarity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we'll get into it as we kind of go along, but the title is like, uh, like hell, I won't. Even if you just met Todd McFarlane for a couple of minutes, whatever, at a convention, it's clearly like very, <laughs> very Todd McFarlane. You know what I mean? It just, yeah. it wouldn't yeah. apply to Jim Lee or other great artists and stuff like that, uh, Greg Capullo. But when you see something like that connected to Todd McFarlane, I'm like, yeah, that's Todd McFarlane. Yeah, it's uh, his persona it fits it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because he's definitely, uh, not shy at all. He's just like, he's very big presence anywhere he goes. Like when we were at Comic-Con, he, uh, he's just like on fire, you know, it's like he's in his element. Yeah. So it, it definitely fits. There's a great Simpsons line. Uh, Homer and a couple other people were doing some voiceover voiceovers for cartoons and the uh, director was kind of frustrated with them. And he said, I don't know what he's in, but it's not my face. 
And that's kind of like a great way to <laughs> sum up Todd McFarlane. Like, Todd McFarlane's in your face. Like, not it's a good yeah. thing or bad thing, but just like his personality, his his reputation, all of that is just kind of like, it's kind of brash. Yeah, that's exactly right. And when he starts, like, <laughs> like when he starts talking about something, he'll just go. As a, as a person making a documentary, I mean, you can't ask for anything better than that to have someone who wants to constantly talk to you. A lot of times it's like you you have to work to get people to want to talk to you or sit down in an interview. But he was always happy to talk with us and let us into his office and the places that he was working. Just let us into the world of Todd McFarlane. Yeah. So that was awesome. So why did Todd agree to do this documentary? I can't you have to ask him exactly why, but mm-hmm. I know he had done he's done a lot of work before the this being sci-fi wire specifically mm-hmm. he's done every every year he does like either a panel or interviews with sci-fi wire and he's have a, a working relationship with them and they pitched it to him to do it and for whatever reason he likes that idea and so that's kind of where the project was born from yeah your documentary is interesting because it shows different incarnations of Todd McFarlane. It's almost like he's Bowie and his different personalities are different characters, right? You have yeah. like Calgary Todd, uh, the humble beginnings kind of, the Marvel Todd, uh, working on Spider-Man and Incredible Hulk. You have Image Comics Todd where they start off that huge uh, revolution in the 90s. And then now almost like with Spawn 300 and the way your documentary is presenting it, it's almost like Todd has become like a Tony Robbins, TED Talk type inspirational speaker, like inspirational Todd, I guess. You could say that, yeah. It's weird because you you do get to see sort of the progression of his career, but also kind of the progression of his own sort of personality from just being like very together when he was younger. Some, something that's not even in the documentary because it just wasn't time for it was that he really wanted to play baseball when he was younger. He's a great baseball player. And so uh, it's he's famously known for buying like Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire baseballs for millions of dollars and that would come to him in terms of getting the toy licensing for baseball and other sports. But so he's always thinking about how am I going to do the next thing? And like, he was thinking 10 steps ahead when he was buying those balls of how, how am I going to use that to promote myself, get my name out there? So he's just, the aspect of his like, personality is, is very, very complex. And even anyone that we, we, talk, we talk to that know, know him, you get a lot of different answers about how he is or who, what he, what he's like, you know, work with or work for. But it's just, uh, it's very interesting now to, to get to see him reflecting on the career and what he, cause he's, he acts like he's still just starting. Yeah. And like, that's really, I mean, a lot of people in his position, they don't think that way. You know, they say, well, I've had a great career and I'm still, you know, I'm, probably whining toward the end of it, but I'm still doing it. But he's like, nope, I'm 60, whatever. I'm still going to be doing this till I'm 100. This is just like the halfway point. I think even in an interview uh, or a panel that he did for Comic-Con at home, he even said something like that, like if, if it's chapter one of the, of the story. So that's crazy. This might be a silly question, but are you looking at this as a comic book documentary or is it like almost like a sports documentary like ESPN 30 for 30 where you kind of see the the hunger uh, of an athlete and just kind of like going through the highs and lows the triumphs and the setbacks all that whole progression uh, but still trying to come out on the other side after this huge career the 30 for 30s are incredibly inspirational but they're also kind of reflective of how hungry and unsatisfied many of the sports athletes are so, like, do you see do you see it kind of like as a comic book documentary, or is it almost like a sports documentary? That's a good question. I I haven't even thought of it that way, but it is a good question. I I would not even categorize it as a sports documentary or a comic documentary in terms of that, just because. And I'll, I'll explain myself. To me, like the thirty for thirties are good because they're sort of telling stories that are sort of not always the normal sports story about the team that won or something. It's about human, it's very human stories. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to do with this. A lot of uh, my inspiration for this is was Chef's Table. I don't know if you've ever seen or heard of that on Netflix. And, and 
There's another one called Abstract. And these stories are, I thought this would be a great way to tell a story like the, the way that they do, which is they're really about the artist's struggle. And in that case, it's their chefs, but there's a very human story there. And I really wanted to do that with this and take that model in a way and try to make this documentary be so much that and not tell the story about a person first that happens to make comic books and toys and, and things like that. So I approached it that way. And so I was definitely happy to get that as I was able to get to and to let me do those things you know you're talking about abstract the art of design that series yeah. with tinker yeah. hatfield and uh yeah uh, evs uh i can't remember her name now the concert designer and stuff like that like there's some exactly, fantastic yeah. profiles in that so i definitely watched all of those as sort of inspiration and and research in kinds of documentaries that i like the kind of springboard myself on ideas for how to tell the story and shots that they use. And so I definitely had a lot of like a, like a folder that I was using as sort of like inspiration for different shots we could try to get. Part of that too is this really cool thing they call the Donatello arm. What is a Donatello yeah. arm? Can you explain that? Yes, it is a robotic camera. You were fortunate to be able to use it. And that was a big part of our pitch too. And sci-fi really liked that and was like, wow, this is like a really cool way to show toys and comic books. That's pretty unique. And so it's a company in Atlanta and they have, uh, and I think they're in New York as well. But the camera, what it really allowed us to do is get those super close-up shots of the toys in like such a smooth way. And also do like, since it's robotic, you're programming the movement of the camera. So you can program it to do the same movement forever so that's what allowed you to kind of get the we had some shots where we had the comic books sort of look like they stacked up and so we're just shooting the same thing over and over again <laughs> and then we just cut it together where it looks like it stacks up it's the same movement so that was a huge thing for us to be able to use to be able to make such cool shots of the toys and uh the comic books so your pitch to do this uh was really unique right because you you approached it was it was a Tongle that was the company where you pitched it and then you didn't know who it was going that, to be? Yes. That's a good question because the way I got involved in this project is definitely not traditional. So uh sci fi and Tongle, which is a Tongle's a company that does a lot of different projects with different brands and different companies and they work with those companies to create a brief or a project and then other filmmakers can pitch to do those projects. And then that's, they kind of act as a middleman between the filmmaker and the companies. So they had a working relationship with Sci-Fi already. So when it's time to do this project, they went to Tongle to try to find uh, a director. So then I've, I've done some projects with Tongle before and that's how I've, found out about the project it was from Tongle's website. So I pitched and the first, there was two stages. The first stage was sort of a qualifying thing. Are you capable of doing this? Let's see your real, like what would be your take on doing this? And then they liked that. So I got whittled down to, I think like four. And then I did a whole pitch video and I made, I made a longer treatment and like we, we went like all out <laughs> for that. Mm -hmm. And that's really what got me the job. And that was in April of 2019. And it was basically like, they love it. They want you. And I was like, great, let's go. And then it wasn't until just before Comic-Con in July that they actually agreed. And you know how those things go. So like, you have to get to Comic-Con to make this because that's what this is about. Uh, Spawn 300 and stuff. So it got down to like the last minute. They were like, okay, now or never. So mm -hmm. that was great. And I was super happy to be able to get the, you know, green light to do it, but also gave me a week to prepare to go to Comic-Con and hire <laughs> people and get a crew. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, thank you, Sci-Fi. It was a miracle, but we got it. We got a crew out there and Sci-Fi was super helpful. They, they got us the badge, the passes and the accommodation and everything. So it all worked out. It was great to be Comic-Con. Uh, it was my second time there and just a 
such a cool event that really hope can be back next year because as cool as virtual comic con is that means a real thing yeah you need the vibe of like everybody there or the all kind of mushed together the cosplay all that kind of um action i guess yeah i mean it's, it makes you really you know just you miss it but also like you know makes you not take it for granted you know it's not always going to be there so you know hopefully it is actually bigger than ever yeah and comic books are weird too because for the most part it's a very solitary um habit like you read the comic book by yourself in your room or something or on the bus um sometimes you will like tweet some stuff out or maybe you make a facebook video or a podcast or something but generally speaking you're kind of solitary and it's only really at cons that you realize that there's other people out there who also like spider-man or spawn (laughs) or whatever the character is you know what i mean and you realize like then you can connect with this community uh that's you can see online obviously and you can connect with them online but you need to see it and kind of like get with people and you can see the sarcasm better in person and all that kind of fun stuff I mean, that to me is just like the pure joy of being able to connect with nerds on any level. I mean, Comic-Con went from just the small thing with just comic book fans to fans of anything now. Any type of media mm-hmm. uh, is there. And like the biggest, you know, the biggest movie stars are there, you know, <laughs> like that's insane. So, and also it's a chance for you to meet the people who make the things that you like, and which is amazing. And like... It's cool to watch them on a, a YouTube video panel, but it's even cooler to get a picture with them, you know? So that to me is like the coolest thing about having those events and cons. In Atlanta, we have Dragon Con, which is a big one too. And you get to dress up and just have fun. It's great. So sad that you can't do it now, but we will. We will <laughs> sometime. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to me, like the response from the documentary so far has been just kind of a little overwhelming like it's been almost all positive especially from Todd's fans and so what really what I really like about this is that it's not just promoting Todd it's promoting comic books and art there's a lot of artists in in the film that you may never heard of if you only heard of Todd and so one thing that I'm hopeful with this documentary is that not only is it going to be just something that people like for a storytelling standpoint, but also, you know, inspires people to pick up a comic book who might not have, or inspires people to, you know, get into comics that maybe it's something that they've could, could be doing more or haven't done, you know what I mean? So I hope that it's good for the whole industry. And I know that they were promoting a Kickstarter, no, GoFundMe, sorry, that was raising money for comic, local comic shops. And that was awesome. So now it's hard time for everybody, but especially comic book shops. Um, I don't know if you remember in the film, there's a, the, the, the printing company that printed Spawn 300. It's out of business now. Wow. And so it's a, it's a tough time for everybody, but especially the print business and the comic book shops. So if you can help them in any way, that'd be fantastic. Any, any little help. Would yeah. Be it's also, I find that the, the, the documentary is inspiring. Like I, I alluded to the, the, this a uh, couple of questions ago about Todd being like now this kind of Tony Robbins <laughs> type uh, yeah. inspirational speaker. And I think anybody who does creative work as well uh, would benefit from this documentary. Uh, thank you for saying that. I definitely wanted that to come across strongly in the film because to me, I came at it from just the standpoint of being a filmmaker first, comic book fan second, and coming at it from just someone who is inspired by seeing another artist fight for their work or do things their own way and make it work out. And also have their story or whatever they're making be so personal to them. Like Spawn is such a personal thing. Working with Todd, like it was very obvious to me very quickly that Spawn just means so much to him. And it's more than just like just some something that you made, like some character you came up with and, you know, someone else takes it and does whatever they want with it. It's his thing. And like, it's very personal to him, not only in just that he made it, but also it's the, the people and the, the story is sort of a mirror to his own personal life story, which I, I is something that's part of the film too. Like the character of Wanda in Spawn is named after his wife and 
So there's characters named after his friends and other, other people. So that aspect to me was what I really wanted to come through was like the artist that, that struggled to do his thing. And like, that's how any artist probably feels. And so that's basically the sort of mindset that I had, which was, I used to joke that I was like, I want to make it be where if Todd was making pancakes, you'd still be inspired by this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not about what he's making; it's about the the personal story of the person making it, and that's what I was always uh, trying to convey. So, and also it helps that uh, Todd is an inspiring person, and especially when he when he gives those speeches at the con, he really is all about saying like, "I'm not special; you can do this too." It just takes a lot of work, and it just takes like years of doing doing it, practice. And so he's he's definitely all about you can do it too which is awesome. I guess the unfortunate flip side of that, though, is like Todd has a great line that you opened the movie with where he said, there's a fine line between being diligent and persevering, which is what you're talking about, and being delusional yeah. or being an asshole. And sometimes the asshole label is something we see with complicated but skilled uh, and often successful individuals, somebody like a Kanye West, for example. Uh, Todd's yeah. sometimes, I've seen Todd, and I know other like nerds as well have uh, slapped uh, the asshole label on Todd as well. Like, has this yeah. documentary changed your view of the asshole label? Like, can you still hustle and get the things that you want done, the respect that you feel you deserve, and still be nice? That is a great question and a great debate that I don't think we'll settle on this call. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I watched the last. You made a week. documentary. I expect you to have all the answers. <laughs> well, that that question is like, you know, do you have to be an asshole in order to be successful no but sometimes yes uh like i i mean i can't look at the evidence of people who were and say well that didn't help them mm-hmm. like there's that was a big part of the michael jordan story in, in the last case. i don't know if you saw that one yeah that's a brilliant but, documentary uh, you guys talked about that on your right mm-hmm. yeah the documentary was great and definitely an inspirational thing to me. I mean, I, lo- I, I was at one of those games. Was in the. I'm from Atlanta. I was a Hawks fan. I remember seeing Michael Jordan when I was a kid with my dad, and it's just like burned in my mind. But just to see, you know, Michael Jordan wasn't always looked at as uh, being a nice guy. You know, some people thought he was a jerk, and he. But it's like, did he have to be that way to be successful? Does Todd have to be the way he is to be successful? It's a great question. I see a lot of successful people in my life. I work in the film industry and working in the film industry under, you know, I worked on Avengers and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of those successful people like Kevin Feige, not that way. So maybe in certain situations, but they don't have a reputation for that. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, my, my feeling on Todd was that he probably gets more of that reputation than he deserves. Um, just from his public persona because in private all the people that work with him in McFarlane headquarters in, in Tempe, nicest people in the world, nicest people, most accommodating. We still talk like, so to me, it's like, if you surround yourself with these people, that says something about you to me, the kind of people that you have around you. And those people couldn't have been better. Uh, Todd has a really sweet moment where he talks about his wife Wanda you just mentioned Wanda a little while ago and mm-hmm. he, he kind of almost breaks down a little bit there's some tears in his eyes and you get yeah. the sense that like Wanda is like she keeps him grounded like he can kind of go off and do all these risks and start a toy company <laughs> and try and put out a, a an independent comic book that goes up to 300 issues he can do all these things and she's the lighthouse like no matter how many risks or how often he fails or has setbacks she can keep him grounded and she she's home so he can get yeah. back home. Uh, is that a good way of like describing their relationship? Absolutely. You know, from talking to him and talking to her and, and just seeing that, I mean, like to, to have a career like he's had is inspiring. But also, you know, from, for me and for a lot of the people working on the film, like, you know, to, to see a guy who's met, he's still married to the same woman he met when they were just teenagers, you know, and, still be in love and still be supportive of each other. And like, I think those tears came from just, you know, realizing that 
that's a that's a long time to be with someone, and that's also a long a lot of sacrifice along the way in terms of time and, and things because there's definitely a balance between your work and your personal relationship. But she definitely is an amazing woman to have been so supportive of him this entire career and to still be so. And you know, there was a long time where she was working like basically running, helping run the company, which wasn't a part of this documentary because she doesn't do that anymore. But that, you know, it's not just been her just sitting around. She's been actively involved in her career, which is awesome. I mean, just an inspiring thing to have a relationship like that to, to look at and say that that can work. Um, but yeah, I definitely am proud of that interview and proud of the fact that, you know, I was able to have a conversation with Todd during that interview that allowed him to open up. I know people who I've talked to people who have known Todd for decades and they've seen the film and they say, I've never seen Todd be emotional ever. I've never seen him cry. Or I've never seen him get choked up like that. And so that's something new that I haven't been seen from Todd in any other thing, which I'm pretty proud of. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. Like when I was asking you about like the asshole uh, question, the asshole label, like people also forget that Todd was Canadian, right? Americans have this thing where like they always feel that Canadians are super nice and kind people. Yeah. But for yeah. some reason, that never that label never really stuck to Todd. They always viewed him as like a Marvel person when he was there, and then he was an image guy. Yeah. Like he was always kind of brash. Those type of words uh, gets associated with Todd. He never got the Canadian, the nice Canadian label. I guess so. I mean, he's maybe an atypical Canadian. So, <laughs> I mean, also he, he loved playing baseball, and he moved to the United States to play baseball, and like. You know, you, you don't really hear, you know, associate Canada with baseball mm-hmm. very often either, you know. But he also loves hockey. I mean, he's got Wayne Gretzky is like his hero. So he's got a, a, so much memorabilia and stuff at his house. Awesome. Uh, but baseball was like such a big thing to him uh, and still is. That's why he lives in Arizona uh, or why he lived there because you can play baseball all year round, he says. Okay. <laughs> and so that's still like a big part of his life uh, and he used to coach like little league or something or something like that. So yeah, I don't know why the Canadian uh, nice guy label, <laughs> but maybe that's part of it. Maybe he, he's just associated with things that are American, mm-hmm. quote. but uh, that is a good question. But so then it's fair to say then spending time with Todd and like documenting his, his work and his life has it either inspired or is it, uh, transformed your creative journey? I would say yes, absolutely. I mean, making a film, there was a lot of times where stuff I'm editing or stuff that I'm putting in the film is sometimes paralleling what I'm dealing with making a film, you know, which is kind of ironic. You know, when you're having to deal with people saying, don't do this, don't do that, and creatively, you're kind of, you know, putting heads like, that's part of the process, but also just being able to see someone who like stuck to what he thought was the right way to do things and figured out how to do things where he didn't have to compromise on what he wanted to do. That's inspiring to me to be able to get to, you know, a point where you can make what you want to make the way you want to make it. And that's, I think any artist like dreams of doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm not saying that it was like, you know, I was butting heads like him and Marvel, but you know, there's always going to be some, there's always going to be the, the, you know, creative conversations when you're making something, especially if it's not your, it's for a company like sci-fi or some other Netflix or something, you know, they got to, they have a brand image to maintain or they have their own things that they want to include or not include. And that might not be what you wanted to include, but not your call at the end of the day. So you have to have, to really work well with those people to, you know, not, uh, not completely, you know, not have your thing be made. You know, I, I have a director, TV director that's like been a mentor to me. And he's like, he always says, I'm not trying to get back to the trying to minimize my disappointments. So <laughs> yes. that's a great line. <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of true. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, I would say in this case, my, I minimize my disappointment quite a lot. So, I'm happy with how the film turned out, and uh, I'm hopeful that people really like it. 
so far. Todd's fans have definitely seemed to like it, at least uh, from the social media posts. Mm-hmm. And that's been really, really encouraging. Awesome. The spine of the documentary, too, is Todd cranking out the Spawn 300. And so you're kind yeah. of following the process as you do flashbacks and stuff to the beginning and uh, Todd's origins mm-hmm. and things like that. The spine is basically following the publish- publication of Spawn yeah. 300. And that kind of also mirrors filmmaking, basically. Like you've, you've talked about how you've worked on other film sets and things like that. And if you just write a novel like Stephen King, you're just by yourself. I know you have an editor and stuff like that, for the, but for the most part... If you want to just kill off a character or do something, whatever, you just kind of go down yeah. that road and you just kill them off and that's it. Like There's no committee. There's nobody else. But with film, yeah. you're kind of like working th- through things. Uh, there's sometimes setbacks. It's raining when you need to do a sunny scene or things like that. Uh, cameras okay. and things break down. And like there's just things that – there's just constant setbacks. Filmmaking is just constantly solving problems. And I find that comic books, too, is sometimes a similar way because you're working with a number of different people and personalities. Uh, you had that phone call with Todd McFarlane. With the, I think he was talking to the printer. He's like, when you got to yeah. get the cover by? And she, the lady said something like, oh, it's about four hours or so. <laughs> and, and Todd has that look on his face where like, uh, oh, boy. Okay. So you clearly <laughs> yeah. know that he was a little bit behind schedule. And it's interesting that you followed the, the comic book process uh, when it mirrors so much filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly true. I mean, it's such a collaborative effort to make a comic book and have a deadline, and that was the same thing that we were dealing with. And you're you're kind of dependent on the work of many people, not just one person. Like a, like writing a book. I mean, sure, you do have an editor and these these types of things, but it's it's definitely different. Like for Todd to make Spawn 300, it's not just him making it. He has like artists that are making their own parts of it and covers and the, you have to coordinate so much and if one person is like not carrying the weight or is behind then it's like a, a domino effect and it's the same in making a film uh, and so I didn't even know I, I had no idea the complexity of the process of making a comic book like that mm-hmm. and that was something that was just so interesting to me to, to learn about like just the, the, the steps that go into it and the many different people I just I did not have a full knowledge of that or appreciation, which I definitely do now. One of the best things for me from doing this film is that I have just such a greater appreciation for the art and the work that goes into making comic books. And I know Todd probably has his own way of doing it as opposed to Marvel or DC, but it was just such a fascinating process. And I'm I'm glad that some of that is in the documentary to see just how how things get made from ink. Uh, you know, penciling, inking, coloring. And so, but making that 300 story through line was cool because maybe have, you can see like in career, but also that the current thing that's happening. And it was always an idea to do that, but definitely felt when we were editing, like, how are we going to do this? Because we, didn't have the ability to to be there for the whole process of making it. So we had to kind of get creative in the edit to make it feel like that was a step from start to finish of it's announced it's coming out and then printing. So uh, I think we did a great job with that mm-hmm. given the circumstances. But when we went into the, I'm glad you brought up that um, conversation with the printer. That day was interesting because we arrived and they were already in that meeting. And it was like, we could tell it's pretty tense. <laughs> like they're, they're behind. And so we didn't know if they were going to let us come in and film that. But Todd came out and was like, you guys weren't going to want to get this. So Todd knows that he knew that that would be interesting. And he was willing to give us just complete access, even the good and the bad, of what was happening. And that was great. And it was just cool to be able to not be limited on the access that we were given. And I think that makes the film better. But like you mentioned, I think one thing that is uh, that you might not even think about, but when we were there, they were working on 300 and they were already behind. So to be there filming was cool to see that, but also trying to schedule interviews and like get people to like, do specific, you know, things <laughs> like 
we it was hard because they're on this deadline and they're stressed out doing their thing and we have a deadline and we only because it just worked out where that was the only time that we were ever going to be able to film to meet our deadline and to film the 300 being made so it was just kind of uh i got to give a lot of credit to my producer from Atlanta, his name is Vincent, goes by Chinley, uh, to work with McFarland's people to schedule all that we had to do. The interview that we did with Todd, the main one where he's, he's in a blue shirt, you can see at times he's holding inking pens or he has one in his ear. Or he, he's, and basically that is because I, I wanted to do an interview with him in his home and I was like, we need to do an interview, like a real proper sit down interview. And he was like, how can we do this? I'm so far behind. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, can you ink while we do the interview? And he was like, okay. And then that's why, <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> so he was working while we were doing the interview. And, you know, that's how crazy it was. <laughs> yeah. So we've alluded to the fact that you've worked on like film sets. Uh, you mentioned Avengers. I think on your Twitter, yeah. uh, your photos, you're hanging out with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, you guys are going on road trips. How does like how does that compare uh, with like this experience of like going to Comic Con as you said, just getting in there at the last minute? Um, you're ta- you're hanging out with Todd McFarlane uh, in his studio and he's inking in front of you, and you're hanging out with Jim Lee. Can you compare those experiences? Or are they just completely different? Well, they're they're similar and different. I like I think for me what really helped in terms of getting to do this documentary and then going from just being in Atlanta to like being in Comic Con, spending every waking hour with big name comic book people and stuff, is working on those movies and working with people like Benedict, uh definitely I think prepared me to not get sort of starstruck or something or be able to work with these level of people in a professional way quickly at the drop of the hat. It was almost like, you know, if Todd was at the top of the mountain and I'm at the bottom and then a door opened up and an elevator to the top just took me right up to him. That's kind of how it was. So I had to just be prepared to, you know, because I remember distinctly a producer from Congo when we were first meeting with Todd at Comic-Con. That was the first time I met him. He was asking me, like, how should we approach And I was just like, you know, just the same way I would approach Benedict or approach these other people that I worked with. And that was, you know, we know what we're doing and we're going to do it. And so that was definitely helpful to have those experiences, working on big movie sets and working with famous people, big name people, that kind of helped me to get, sort of past that like veil of oh these are people too. These are people that I'm working with now. And instead of, you know, having some kind of weird freak out about that, you know? Mm-hmm. So just being comfortable around people like that. But in terms of like the process of making it, there's definitely a lot of similarities in, in making any kind of film. You have like producers, a team of people and you're gonna have different uh voices and, and notes and sheet packing there's gonna be back and forth like that. But Definitely making those movies is a lot more people and a lot more preparation and scheduling and planning than I had on this. I might have had more in an ideal world. I would have had more preparation time than I did, but I didn't. So we had to make it work. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with, with those types of shows and, and big movies and stuff like that, there's always a lot more prep time and scheduling and meetings and stuff like that before you even start. Yeah, I think that's what's interesting uh, about your job in terms of hanging out with people like Benedict and then making a movie like this with Todd McFarlane. As you said, Todd was inking uh, during the interview. You yeah. are seeing people, a number of people, uh, and you're seeing their creative process, which is something that not everybody always gets to see. Do you know what I mean? You get yeah. to yeah. the way our our industry works is like for you, for example, like I'm talking to you after you've made this documentary. So then you tell me stories and you pick mm-hmm. stuff from the set and you tell me about how Todd was like inking during the interview and things like that. But you get to see the creative process. And I guess I've kind of already asked you this in terms of like Todd inspired your creative process. But you, are you starting to pick up stuff from all these different people as you work with them and seeing how they work? Absolutely. I think it would be strange if I wasn't. 
because that's such a benefit to me to be able to be behind that veil, behind that curtain of like, you know, here's an Academy Award winning actor. Well, what's it like? What's his preparation like? You know, is it any different than like a, a person acting in a local theater or not? Or is and what's what's the difference or what are these people doing? What's their work ethic like? What is their planning? You know, I've worked on a Clint Eastwood movie recently and that was cool to see how he worked with his people. So it was just like you're right. I mean, I'm I'm constantly lucky to be able to see a lot of different things. And I I definitely am taking that into what I'm doing. And I I mean you're you're absolutely right. It's just it's just such a great gift to me to be able to have learned that and now I'll be able to apply it to my own projects. And so I'm hopeful that I can get more projects to because there, there's definitely a benefit to watching other people that are at the highest level of their craft do it. And then there's, but there's nothing that beats doing it yourself. You know, you can yeah. watch, you can watch, you know, any Ted talk or you can watch, Stephen King tell you about how to write a book, but if you don't try to write the book yourself, then you can't get better at doing that. So there's definitely like a level of like, okay, I've learned a lot of things, but I want to apply those things. And so this documentary gave me a chance to, to do that and, you know, make some mistakes and fail and learn on my own, which was great. So I know this one just came out. This is a bit of an unfair question. But do you have a yeah. follow-up project or something else that you want? To, are you going to stick with documentaries or maybe make a scripted series? Or what are you hoping to do next? Uh, yeah, thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> unfair question. No, well, right now I'm putting together a pitch on maybe doing a series of uh, documentaries on, on comic book creators. I think what does that look like and how, how that would be? That's kind of what we're trying to figure out. And then I'm also having uh, meetings and calls with producers and, and different managers. So I'm trying to see what I can take in my own personal next steps. And then I, I have some other scripted stuff I can't really talk about yet. But uh, my ultimate goal is to be doing uh, scripted stuff. That's what my background has been in. But, you know, I'll take, it. I'll take the steps to get there, you know. Mm -hmm. As we wrap up, are there any uh, cool comic books or uh, movies lately that you've been reading or watching that you want to recommend? Or, or even old school stuff, too. It doesn't have to be lately. But as an oh. avid nerd, I know this is, this is probably the hardest question I've asked you. <laughs> oh, I mean, we could talk about this for another hour. Yeah, I know. But, so <laughs> uh, No, uh, yeah. Uh, first of all, I got to shout out to Doom Patrol, the show. I have a lot of friends who work on that show. They're in the second season on HBO Max, and hopefully they get a third season. It's fantastic. Tell your friends they are it's doing a, a cool show. Yeah, they're doing a really solid job. Uh, I, I yeah. like this kind of quirky. Uh, tra I'm not a big fan of some of the CDW stuff, like the Arrowverse and Flash and stuff, but I like the yeah. more quirkier Umbrella Academy, Doom Patrol, uh, this kind of trend in terms of like weirder comic book stories. Yeah, it's just such a unique thing in the comic book show world. Like, I'm so happy that they moved it from DC Universe to HBO Max where more people can see it. Mm -hmm. And I hope that they get a third season so that Me too. even more people can see it. I just wa finally watched Watchmen on HBO, which I thought was brilliant. Mm -hmm. I read the you know, graphic novel in high school. It's like a required reading for a class. My teacher was awesome. And so <laughs> it's just a, something that, that blew me away. And it's just always been with me. And... Uh, I was kind of skeptical about the show. I think people probably were because that graphic novel was so good and the show was great. So I, I thought it was just a really good companion piece to that. And yeah, I mean, there's so many more I could talk about. <laughs> but, uh, those, those two are like decent in my mind of like things that I really liked. Documentaries. I mean, the last thing is something that I think anybody in it, but that, I mean, it was just nostalgia also like just really cool to see that was cool to see because they had the story of they, their through line was like that last season and then they kind of profiled the, the starting five mm -hmm. and so it was cool it was just such a cool documentary over i mean one of the best things espn's ever made for sure for you recently the hawks came out with new uniforms yeah 
Do you, yeah. do you like the new uniforms or do you have any comments on the new uniforms? This has absolutely uh, nothing to do with your hot documentary, but it's an important no, question though. No, I mean, I'm from Atlanta. Uh, you know, I, I'm such a fan of the old ones, the throwbacks, you know. The, the Dominique Pac-Man Wilkins Hop. era? So, yeah, man. Like the, That's my favorite. And in the 97, 98, when they had black ones with the hawk that was oh, like yeah. the wings across. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just so partial to those that any time they keep coming out with the new ones, I'm always like, eh, that's not as good as that. But, you know, I do think the Hawks are one of the most sort of bold teams in their color schemes and, like, what they are doing. is not It never feels old or tired. It's always yeah. something kind of fresh. So whether or not you like it or not, it's still they're, they're really trying to do something cool and different. So I, I definitely appreciate that. One of the cool and different things they've done, kind of going back... Uh, to circle back to our conversation is a couple of years ago they had that one logo uh one logo where it was a kind of a circle and it said uh, atlanta hawks basketball club like they kind of realized it's much more of a smaller insular fan base almost like a comic book community yeah. do you know what i mean and i thought that yeah. was really neat because they recognize that but it's like if you're one of us that's great uh it's good to be part of this club but if you're not one of us <laughs> that's fine too you know what i mean you can go and watch the yeah, bulls yeah. or knicks or anybody else uh, with the Hawks too, because uh, not it is probably not the right word, but interesting and and unique to the Hawks because there are a lot of Hawks fans who are also fans of other other teams. I don't know why that is. I can't really tell you. Maybe just a lot of fans, fans people here, but they mm-hmm. the Hawks are definitely good at knowing their fan base, and they were the first team to do like different social media promotions and and. I mean, like a tender night or something like that. And they have, they were the first to do like this really cool, like floor uh, projection that a lot of other teams like took and, and used to. But they've just been like, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, like they just have a pretty keen way of knowing their fan base, which is, is great. And so it's, it's similar with like if Todd, Todd knows his fan base, you know, mm-hmm. going back to, and so, Every comic book or creator, they have their own fan base, and that's part of what they have to do is, you know, not only do the work that they're doing, but also promote their work and also, you know, have uh, an awareness of what the fans like and what they're doing, what they're talking about. And so that's all part of uh, being an artist, being a creator, is that relationship because, you know, you can't do what you want to do without them. Where can people find you online to become part of your fan base? They can find me on Twitter um, at D underscore Oster, O-S-T-E-R. And they can find me online at OsterProductions.com. And is there plans for on uh, Sci-Fi's part to uh, just kind of keep it on the website? Or are they going to ever put it on like YouTube or other, um, I don't know, Amazon Prime or any other kind of outlets? Um, I don't know officially, but I think it will be on YouTube starting tomorrow. Okay. I don't. I don't know officially, but I think I think that's what they're planning to do. It is online, like where how you you and I watched it. Mm-hmm. But I think they are planning on putting it on YouTube. I don't know exactly if it's Sci-Fi Wire or Sci-Fi, but I think it will be available because right now it's not available internationally. And I have a lot of friends in the UK and in in my composers in Austria, and he wants to show it to people. And I'm like, I don't know. So hopefully, if it's on YouTube, hopefully that that can be shared anywhere. Yeah, because I got I got yelled at by some Canadian people because I shared the the trailer and some of the details uh, for it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, same thing. I was like, I can't watch it, and I was like, I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it was awesome to me if they ended up on a streaming service called uh, Peacock or something. That'd, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I watch most of the documentaries that I watch on Netflix and Hulu and HBO Max. So to me, that's like that's just a natural fit for a documentary. Mm-hmm. But it's ultimately not to me where it ends up. But I would love for that to happen if it if it's uh, they saw fit for that to happen. Especially as we said, some of the themes and some of the ideas within the documentary, like more creators, even if you're not really from a comic book world or know who Todd McFarlane is, if you're a creator and you're creating any sort of film or book or any sort of project, this is well worth checking out. Like it's it's inspiring for your journey uh, to give you some motivation. Thank you for saying that. That was definitely 
what I was hoping to convey. I wanted anybody who had never heard of Todd McFarlane before, never opened a comic book before, could just watch this and still be inspired by watching his journey as a creative person, as an artist. And that was definitely my goal with the film. I appreciate you saying that because uh means maybe I kind of did it <laughs> in a way. But definitely, like, yeah, I mean, uh, I know that there's probably people who may, you know, say, well, I don't know anything about comic books or I don't care about that. But, uh, you know, I've had so many people watch this that didn't know who he was, didn't even know what Spawn was, didn't, didn't care, loved the film. And I think it's because of that. Because if you want to do anything creatively, even not even creative, anything you want to do, it's just inspiring to see someone who just didn't give up on that and just did it and see the success he had by sticking to his own belief in himself. And that it can be inspired to anyone. Anyone can be inspired by this story. All right. That's a positive note. We should end it there. We covered quite a okay. bit. We covered okay. the Atlanta Hawks. We covered Benedict Cumberbatch. We covered uh, <laughs> the design abs- abstract, the art of design on Netflix. We covered Tom McFarlane. We covered Spawn. Uh, we did quite a bit, didn't we? Yeah, we touched it all. <laughs> you got it. Uh, but uh, I appreciate the, you bringing me on the show. I really do. Uh, and uh, it's been great to see the response of the film. And, you know, I hope people, more and more people watch it and hope people listen to this and watch it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, David, for making the time and uh, just hanging out with me. I appreciate it. This was fun. Thank you, Sammy. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. All right. That's it. We're done. You're free to go right. and like have a nap or eat some ribs or whatever it is you do. <laughs> Thank you. I'll do all of that. Okay. Thank you. Have a good night. And that is that. I've checked and I can confirm, like hell I won't, is indeed on YouTube. It's so worth checking out, especially if you are a creative person. And I think we really all are. I know the last few months have been unusual, but honestly, no matter the circumstances, every day, every single day, no matter how tragic or or difficult or good or fun, every single day is an invitation to create, to make something. Preferably to make magic happen. Always make stuff. Maybe some days you make a lot. Maybe some days you don't make a lot. But always make stuff. Always make magic happen. If you need a spark and some days the mental engine doesn't quite turn over smoothly, you'd be wise to check out Like Hell I Won't. If you like comics and or Todd McFarlane, then you will enjoy Like Hell I Won't. Comic creators like NBA players are all about the odds an undaunted belief in yourself and in your talents. That journey is neither easy nor smooth, but yo, so worth it. I hope Sci-Fi Wire continues to fashion these comic book profiles as like a sort of 30 for 30, because we all have seen so much and experienced so much. We collect and avidly read the comics, but the creators often have their own unique stories worth sharing. Thank you again for Tara Ansley. She's a wonderful firecracker. I'm more of a fire starter than a firecracker. See for yourself on Twitter, Facebook, and IG. All my pal Sammy. My pal Sammy. Oh, and you can also sign up for my Substack newsletter, also called My Pal Sammy. It's brimming with pop culture goodness. Thank you so much for listening to me in the Netflix world. <laughs>